Are you overwhelmed by what you know you want to do, or maybe even people are saying you should do in your kitchen and with your food? Do you want to know how to transition your kitchen and your eating to ancestral foods? Maybe you've tried before and failed or stopped and started multiple times. Maybe you've gotten the Nourishing Traditions cookbook and you feel so overwhelmed you don't know where to go next. Yes, we understand. In this episode, we'll make it so easy for you. We've put together a roadmap of 20 small steps that'll get you from a standard diet to a beautiful ancestral diet. And we'll detail them all. We'll tell you how we started, which was two different places, by the way, and give you many ideas and resources to keep you enthused and moving forward, no matter where you are in your food journey right now. You can download from the show notes the PDF that accompanies this episode, which has 20 small steps listed out. And then on page two, you'll find a list of 20 resources that Allison and I leaned on heavily as we made the progression from our kitchens being more standard into ancestral. Join us as we dive into 20 small steps to an ancestral kitchen. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Alison. How are you? Hi, Andrea. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. It feels like a long time since we've recorded. I know. We took a good Christmas break, which is healthy. Um, yeah, I'm glad we did. But, you know, you and me recording is also our hangout time. So <laughs> exactly. I missed you. <laughs> I know. I missed you, too. As soon as I jumped on this morning, I was like, gosh, it's just been I mean, we. I think we only missed one day of actually talking to each other, but maybe two. But mm. still, yeah. <laughs> You're my, yeah, you're my not quite the same. food therapist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you had breakfast this morning? <clears throat> no, actually I didn't. But um, it's funny because there's a, um, a friend I have who's, she's from Germany. Um, she lived in Aboriginal territory in Australia when I met her through the Literary mm -hmm. Life group, the podcast. We're both also patrons of that show. And... Uh, I'm not sure where she lives now. She might be back in Germany, but she had sent me this recipe for a Swiss bread and right. I thought I'd give it a shot last night and I'm the recipe made two loaves. So we had one with dinner and then I'm going to have one this morning with eggs. What's the Swiss bread? <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Z-O-P-F. Is that Zoff maybe? Oh, you're asking me. Oh, yeah. Probably. I, I don't I know anything like about Zoff, yeah. Swiss grammar um so she makes it with wheat and spelt combined mm. and the recipe gives instructions for you know it's all by weight so either um what she calls fresh yeast or dried yeast so you can use either mm -hmm. one so mm -hmm. i was just making it on the spur of the moment yesterday we used instant yeast 
last night mm-hmm. just to have a loaf with dinner. It was pretty good. I can mm-hmm. see that it would be even better with <laughs> with real yeast. It'd <laughs> um, be a little, yeast. little sour. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yummy. But that that would assume that I planned more than, you know, four hours ahead. <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's the way it falls, isn't yeah. it? I don't mind. Well, I've got kind of something similar linked. You think we would have planned this. It sounds like we planned <laughs> no it, but way. we didn't. Because my lunch was um, a German dinner. No way. Again, sent to me by someone. So Deb, who is one of our patrons, um, I was talking to her about cooking sauerkraut in dishes, you know, having cooked sauerkraut. And she said, I've got this recipe that my friend gave me. It's a German dinner. Do you want me to send it to you? So Mm -hmm. she did. And I made that this morning for us. It's, um, I kind of, I played with it a little bit. I can't help that. Um, (laughs) I started off with some lardo in the, in the pan and then some onion and then some sausages from our farmer. And then I put in a lot of cabbage and Mm. some cavalonero. And that was all kind of cooking down. And then some really big spoonfuls of sauerkraut. I've just kind of resigned myself to the fact that I just have to make more sauerkraut because I absolutely love it cooked in dishes. And it means that I use much more because dishes can handle more sauerkraut than you would necessarily want raw on your side of your plate, you know? Yeah. So I've just got to make more cabbage. That's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So the, the sauerkraut <laughs> went in and then I bought a tin of tomatoes, which I very rarely do, and put mm. those in and cooked it for, I don't know, maybe an hour and a quarter. It was absolutely delicious. Literally the that depth of the so sauerkraut, good. the acidity of the tomatoes, the cabbage, all the fat from the lardo, the salt that was on the lardo, the sausages... I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and um, we've got lots of the veg left. We ate all the sausage, but we've got lots of the veg left. So I think yeah. tomorrow I'm going to heat it up and probably just put some fish in it, stir yeah. it round, oh. and that will be our dinner tomorrow. We had it with um, sourdough and lard on our sourdough, as we always do, and some ale because we made a new batch of ale over Christmas period. So we've got three bottles of that that we're drinking at the moment. Um, And yeah, a little glass of ale on the side. It's delicious. But yeah, German, kind of German and Swiss. We're in the same part of the world, both of us. Yeah. And it was from a friend who's from Germany. So, you know. Yeah. Via a patron. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Deb. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of patrons, I also want to say that for Christmas, I got myself. um, Angie Schneider is one of our patrons as well. Mm. And I don't know if listeners know that she wrote, she's wrote, written a number. She she done wrote some books. (laughs) She's written a number (laughs) of books. And two of them are, um, I think some of them are ebooks. And then there's two cookbooks. And I ordered them from her so I could give them to myself for Christmas. And Allison, she put, she signed them and put little notes in them to me. Oh, wow. Which was so lovely. Yeah. So that'll be kind of a treasure, you know, to pass on. But one is all about um, preserving, you know, veg and things like that. And the other Mm -hmm. is pressure canning. And pressure canning, I, I will especially recommend to... Um, moms with kids because you are just turning out an incredible amount of food 
on a daily basis when you have a lot of kids and you're trying to cook everything, you know, from scratch and ancestrally. And being able to pressure can some beef stews and I mean, she has so many things in there I never would have thought of. Um, <clears throat> just having canned meat kind of sounds gross, but it's not at all. Mm-hmm. When you dump it out, it's just mm-hmm. like having shredded shredded chicken you can put in tacos yeah, or, yeah, you know, yeah. shredded beef that you can, you know. I mean. Just ready. Yeah. When when you are coming home from jujitsu at 730 at night and you, you know, because of whatever the crush of the last few days, you just didn't plan out meals well or something. I mean, those things come in clutch, being able to pop open a jar and just heat something on mm-hmm. the fly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, uh, I would like, I would like to hear more about Angie's books when we yeah, record yeah. our next kitchen table chats podcast, which is for the patrons. Mm-hmm. You need to tell me about the books. I, I got three books. I again, I bought myself three books <laughs> yeah, for Christmas, all secondhand, and I kind of books. smell really musty. And I'm really excited. I've read two of them completely. So two books out wow. of the three I bought myself about food. I've read from start to finish. What books did you? And get? I've got so much to say about them. I um, I got two books on um, from Scotland on oats. One of them is by oh. Oak yeah and it's got lots of the sort of folklore around oats the other one is called the the scots kitchen and it's oh just gosh. got so many scottish recipes in and so many footnotes and stories and folklore and yeah it's amazing um and then i bought um also a second hand copy of tate i don't know if you pronounce it tamar tamar adler's mm-hmm. the everlasting um dish i think it's called i haven't started it yet um I'd like to get her on the podcast. But when we yeah. do our next Patreon recording, I'm going to share lots of yes. things from that Scottish cookbook. Good, and I because want to hear lots I of am so... You mean when you do the next um, live or when we record the next... Um... When we record the next private yeah. podcast, I oh think. Oh, my gosh. That would be yeah. so good. That would be nice. So I've got two reviews to read. Let's hear them. Talking about good things. So we have two wonderful reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts and you have the time and you love the podcast, please do leave us a review because it, it helps other people find us, mm-hmm. but also it makes us smile. That, that yeah, I think is the most important thing. So we've got two here. Both of them are five stars. The first one is from the username No Party for Old Women. <laughs> and <laughs> Her review is titled, Yes, with three exclamation marks. Oh, wow. I'm so excited to have found this. This is something I've been looking for for ages. After you've poured over nourishing traditions for years, what do you do then? You listen to this. Lots of encouragement and support. <laughs> oh, That's that. a lovely review. Yeah. Thank you. And then there's one other one um, by ESL Girl, who says, love this show. This show is so life-giving and encouraging, and these women really care. Keep up the good work. Smile. Oh, thank that. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's left us a review. There are details of how to leave a review in the show notes if you are on Apple and you want to do that. We mm-hmm. would love it in advance. Thank you. Yes, we do. Thank you. So. All right. Right. Shall we do this? What are we talking about today then? Well, yeah, I'm very go on. excited <laughs> about this episode, Alison, because this is something that you've kind of been discussing with me for months that you wanted to do Mm. this episode and then we started shaping up you know the list and we had to talk to all the patrons and um Mm. we talked to people around us and so I'm very excited about this episode so 
we're calling this one 20 Small Steps to an Ancestral mm-hmm. Kitchen. Yeah, indeed. And I think the reason that it first kind of, kind of bubbled up as something that we wanted to record is because that so many people seem overwhelmed. You know, just like that last review, so many people who talk to me say, well, I've got Nourishing Traditions and I read it. But I just, uh, I didn't know what to do, where to go first. Uh, I could uh, help, you know, and and have yeah. said, you know, the podcast is so encouraging around that. And uh, and so many people think, what do I have to do? I want to do this, but I don't yeah. under, I don't have a schema in my head for how to, to do it. I don't know where to start. I want to do it all, but I know I can't do it all. And yeah. I want something that will just hold my hand and help me. And I think for both of us, it's been, uh, both of our journeys have been small steps. You know, if you try and do everything all at once, undoubtedly you fall over because you can't manage it all. I think Um, that's one. Oh, sorry. mm, No, go go on, you go. I think that's one of the hazardous pitfalls, Alison, that, you know, you and I were kind of insulated from in a way because when we started reading these books, nobody was really talking about them or if they were, I you know, I just was oblivious to it or it wasn't yeah. like in my face, Me like too. on Instagram and stuff. And if you have the slightest inkling towards ancestral food now, you hop on Instagram and type in the hashtag, you know, Weston A. Price for yeah. ancestral foods. And there's thousands and thousands of hits. And that just mm. didn't exist when we mm. started. But I, now that that is a good thing. But where that becomes a hazard is when you start following these accounts, the people are like, yeah, you know, if you don't eat soy-free chicken, you might as well just be dead. And yeah, if you're not mm-hmm. eating sauerkraut every day, you might as well just give up. And, you know, if you're not buying everything organic, why are you even here? You know, and it's like, yeah, you start getting this impression that you need to be doing all of these things right now. And those accounts, while obviously they're well-meaning, they're, they're people who've been doing this for years and years. And they've had time. Like if you actually talk to them, they'll all say how they incrementally started. And yeah, you and I know once you start understanding what soaking grains does or um, what sauerkraut does or, you know, then you, you're you like, wow, that's that's what we're doing. You know, I'm, I'm really passionate yeah. about this. But you had to have time to take in the information, literally change the structure of your day-to-day life to absorb the impact of that new activity. And that can take time. And I just feel like when I look on the internet, it doesn't really phase me because um, I've had 15 years to like absorb this impact, but I can completely see why people say to me, I want to do this, but I'm overwhelmed. Mm. and I think that they just you're right because they mean, feel it, like doing it all at once and it and it shouldn't be like that no, no lasting journey of change in any part oh, no. of life mm. is it is so rarely about just everything changed that's it and then it goes on like in the new way successfully yeah. it doesn't really work like that and if it does work integrating like integrating stuff like you said yes. you, you've got to bring it into your body you've got to understand yes. it and you've got to in with it because this is so practical mm-hmm. you've got to get that skill and then yeah like riding a bike you've learned how to do it and you can just get on a bike and so you can focus on something else yeah you've, you've got to slowly take these steps um, and so that's why I think we want to reassure people mm-hmm. that you don't, like you said, you don't have to do it all, even if it looks like other people 
just did it all in a flash or make you feel like you've got to do it all. Yeah. You can you will just get to the point. take small steps. You will get to the point where you're doing all, if not much of it. Like you will get there. If you're just proceeding yeah. forward, you will get there. Um, yeah, I agree. But um, typically, like when you said, you know, we don't change all in a flash or something. The only times that happens is with a highly traumatic, precipitating event. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe a, you know, you hit rock bottom and you had an amazing something. religious yeah. conversion or you were strung out on drugs and alcohol and you just yeah. got knocked straight. Like it's not easy to do it that way. And people yeah. tell you that, that that they go through trauma changing that, you know, you got to get rid of all your friends in one day and, you know, get new yeah. friends, and, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so this is, let, yeah. let's do this the gentle way and acknowledge that, yes, there are multiple generations of missing training in between us and starting this. Like, did you know in, in, in America, in the U.S. during the 70s and 80s, I, I believe up to 70% of women were formula feeding their babies? Yeah, well, that was a big push, wasn't it? I mean, that's you know? stunning. So, so then mm. now we have multiple generations of people trying to reclaim the simple art of feeding your baby yeah. with your body. I think, and I think that was probably the same in the U.K. as well. I mean, I, I believe I was it was, yeah. Fed. Yeah. yeah. So understanding that that culture has left us kind of high and dry and generational mm. wisdom, you know, a lot of people, you know, Sally Fallon says, eat the foods your grandma ate. Well, Sally can say that, but mm. you can't tell yeah. that to an 18 year old because they're like, I don't know, my grandma goes to McDonald's and like, I, I, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, you know. It's great, um, great, great grandmother now. Yeah, yeah. It's more like you have to say, eat and eat the foods that people born before 1940 were eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's let's do this, Allison. Let's do this list. Yeah. Okay, so if people want to download the list and kind of follow it along mm -hmm. or put it, you know, print it out and have it in their kitchen and their life afterwards, you can go to ancestralkitchen.com forward slash 2020 small steps. So ancestralkitchen.com 20 small steps. You can download this because Andrea made it into a really beautiful PDF. So yeah, go on. Let's give us a give us a start with um, go. numbers one through to five. Andrea. I think this is our best work, Alison. It's your best. Your, this is your, your <laughs> it's a brilliant. masterpiece. Yeah, no, really. Really it is because simple things. Um, okay, and as we go, Alison, I've jotted down some podcast episode numbers. Um, mm. because some of these refer back to, we, you know, we've done entire episodes about some of these topics. So I'll say yeah. them as we go. All right. Number one. Yeah, please do. And <clears throat> I should also say none of these go in any specific order. So the whole idea is you can start anywhere. <laughs> yeah. We just, we had to put them in an order of some sort just to <laughs> number them. Okay. Number one, choose raw or low heat pasteurized milk. And if you have downloaded the PDF, then you'll notice on page two, if you look at number one, I have a, another list of 20 things on page two, and those are all books or resources that Allison and, or I or both of us relied on while we were progressing through this step. So um, mm -hmm. I'll just, I'll only say the resource for this one, you know, don't, I won't say them for all, but just as an example, okay. if you look on page two, I referred you to number one, which is the um, 
a book called Untold Story of Milk, The History, Politics, and Science of Nature's Perfect Food, Raw Milk from Pasture-Fed Cows by Ron Schmidt. That book is amazing. Mm -hmm. All those studies, Allison, that you and I have talked about, like the Framingham Mm -hmm. study and everything, they're in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a stunning book. Okay, so that's number one. Some, you know, I just want to say on that. Yeah. Someone said to me, or so I saw someone commenting, um, saying, "I've got a choice here. I could buy um, grass-fed pasteurized milk, or mm-hmm. that's that's absolutely stamped organic, mm-hmm. or non-stamped organic raw milk from a farm. Which should I choose?" Mm. And in that question, I would say, I would like to know where the raw milk comes from more about the farm so say I'd visit I'd like to visit the farm if I was happy with that I would definitely choose the raw milk over the organic stamped pasteurized milk because the the conditions you need to keep your animals in in order to have healthy raw milk are Mm -hmm. extremely high compared to pasteurization Mm -hmm. um, environments and pasteurized milk is a completely different food stuff to raw milk yeah I would probably end up going with the raw milk unstamped if it was me because Mm. Uh, one thing I would look at is is the pasteurized organic milk, um, ultra heat treated, in which case it's actually going to degrade your bone structure in your body and cause more acidity and, um, you know, loss of calcium. It's actually going to do the mm-hmm. reverse of what you want. Um, but also, and you'll you'll read all about that in that book, Untold Story of Milk. But also, yeah, odds are pretty good that the raw milk is a pastured cow. I mean, almost definitely. So she's probably getting non-organic grain during milking. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Or it's just Mm -hmm. not certified. You know, the field could have been used for something else before and it's not 12 years past or, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things. Or or they just didn't want to pay $3,000 for a piece of paper that said they can use a government stamp. You know, a lot of us don't want to do that. And um we just keep playing whack-a-mole and changing the names. You know, it's regenerative or mm. <laughs> whatever. So, yeah. yeah. And, and also, okay, sorry, that was, also my, don't, that was my... On this one, I'll just say, mm-hmm. don't be alarmed if if they don't want you to come out to the farm. Don't be alarmed because um, raw milk is mm. very touchy from a government standpoint. And... Yeah, okay. And it can be, yeah. like, you might need to earn the farmer's trust to deserve to be able to come out to their farm yeah. in a weird way. You can... I think I've always done that with my farmers. That's yeah. why I, they've been happy yeah. for me to come and visit them because I've Usually known them and talked to them and they got to Usually you can. But yeah. um, raw milk is one of those things where sometimes farmers are just so gun-shy and nervous um, mm. that you're, you know, undercover or somebody, whatever, <laughs> um, yeah. that they might not just be like, yeah, come on out. They might be. Oh, they gosh, might be. what a world. So, yeah, this is the world we live in. Okay, number two. Yeah. Include mm-hmm. fermented vegetables in your meals. Mm-hmm. This is a good one. And you guys will notice that these are really broad statements. We're not saying like, have kimchi at breakfast, you know. Just mm. put, everybody likes different things. So refer to number 48, our interview with Kristen Shockey. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Really, really amazing interview. And if you check the resources, we've got an amazing resource from her listed there. And then also on our podcast, also number five, what we're fermenting right now. That was a good episode, just yeah. talking about what was yeah. going on in our kitchens. Yeah, great. All right. 
Number three, mm-hmm. choose traditional fats over vegetable or seed oils. You have yeah, I think lots of choices here. <laughs> I I wanted to say that um, I asked the patrons where they kind of started, and Rebecca, who's in Australia, said this is where she started. Oh yeah, and she switched from vegetable oil to olive oil, ghee, lard, and tallow. And that kind of mushroomed into lots of um, other of these steps coming to life in her kitchen. Um, And I think it's a place where if people do understand and start to learn about the problems with vegetable oil, they immediately think, oh, I Mm -hmm. could just get this out of my kitchen and and look for other fats. Um, And so, yeah, that's where Rebecca started. I love Rebecca. She is hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> we send lots of voice memos back and forth on Instagram. She's so funny. Um, she um, she said in her comment, you know, that that went on to other things, but she yeah. now said she she gets virtually all of her food from farmers and only goes to That's the great. supermarket once a month. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Well, yes. once you start on one thing and you start getting to a certain point, you start realizing, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's a logical step because you say, well, I want to use traditional fats. So uh, where do I get lard? So you're like, I just go to the store. So you find a nice little, you know, 16 ounce jar of pastured lard. And you're like, this is great. You know, you start using it. And then the farther down the road you go and you're like, oh, I'm buying pastured pork. And then the farmer you're buying the pork, you know, it's, it's expensive. So you start buying a half a pig at a time. And then the farmer's like, hey, mm. you know, you, you want some lard? Because I have a lot here and nobody else. And you're like, yeah. Mm. So you just sort of ooze into the lifestyle because one thing after another kind of you realize everything I'm eating is a farm direct food I might as well just go straight to the source yeah and Joel Salatin says um, if anybody's listened to the Joe Rogan experience I just recently started listening to the Joel Salatin interviews on there they're so unbelievably good Allison Um, listening to Joel Salatin talk is always Mm. just a treat but um, he said specifically the way to do this is to get skills in the kitchen and to buy directly from farms. <clears throat> Listen to episode number th- 33, The Fats We Love, The Fats We Leave, and we talk about the kind of um, hidden history of Crisco there. All right, number four, mm-hmm. soak your grains. Mm-hmm. And you can listen to... This is a to, place where a yeah. lot of people start, I think. Yeah. yeah. Go on. You're going to point to another podcast. Yep. God, episode number... Podcasts, I know. We do a lot. <laughs> episode number 19 is called All About Grains, Preparing, Processing, and Digesting. Mm. So great. that's a great episode. Kelsey, another of our patrons, said she started there. I think that's a kind oh, of yeah. an easy one because you don't yeah. have to do much. You can just yeah. literally... You could get your oats that mm-hmm. you want for breakfast mm-hmm. and before you go to bed put a little bit of something acidic with them, some water, and then that's it. It takes like three minutes. This is like the cheapest and easiest place to start because a lot of people who want to do ancestral cooking are already baking to some degree. And all you got to do is add 12 hours, (laughs) you know? Yeah. All right, number five, well, which I didn't do last night, but... (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, you washing the dishes. (laughs) Been there. You've heard Allison and I talk over and over about her love of rye sourdough bread. Well, I might actually call it an obsession, but that's neither here nor there. Now you can make Allison's rye sourdough in your own kitchen with her as your teacher. And she's a really good teacher. Rye is economical, it's delicious, and full of nutrients and low in gluten. There's a reason why it has been a darling of bread bakers for centuries. 
make it into sourdough as Allison will show you in her course, Rye Sourdough Bread, Mastering the Basics. And you've got an amazing, tasty, and nutritious staple in your kitchen. It's traditional and it's nutritional. In this course, you'll learn everything there is to know about how she creates and maintains her rye sourdough starter, all about whole grain sourdough rye, including the key differences between baking with rye and wheat, how to make two loaves, an everyday rye sandwich bread, and a delicious Russian-style dark rye loaf, and what to do with your sourdough discard, including video walkthroughs for sourdough pancakes and a tasty, sweet, spiced cake. Head to www.ancestralkitchen.com slash rye. Um, number five, choose heritage or heirloom grains, especially those from local mills. And you can listen to episode number 42, how to get and grind the best flour for bread. That was mm-hmm. a really fun episode. Was that the yeah, one where I couldn't always... stay on for the after show because I was falling asleep? Yeah. Yeah. You and no, Ellie had to record it without watched me. watched Ellie grind some grains and that make really bread. Good. That was really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to take number six. To you numbers- go to number 10 so number six is kind of related to number five choose sourdough breads and you know not always can we make breads depending on you know where you're at with your process and how much time you have um it's not necessarily easy for everyone to do that and not everyone's a bread maker some other people you know some people actually prefer making fermented vegetables and that's where their joy is so Mm -hmm. fair enough but where you can choose sourdough breads and we have an early podcast episode about sourdough what number is that andrea do you do you have well, i actually there? marked down three here because oh, we wow. like bread <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and i know we've talked about it lots of other ones too number 41 is rye sourdough mm. bread mastering the basics yeah. that's a great yeah, okay. episode and also refers you to allison's workshop which mm-hmm. is uh, mm-hmm. i'm just gonna say this unbiased right now Probably the best rye sourdough workshop, like on the internet, that you can find. Um, Thank you. So, refer you to that. And number 10, Ellie from Ellie's Everyday Sourdough Baking. Ellie is truly a master and she makes it simple. And then number seven, sourdough, why we love it. And then we kind of talked about the history of bread there, which was disgusting and interesting. The history and the health, I remember being in there, you know. Yeah. So if you want to know more about why sourdough is so good for you compared mm-hmm. to fluffed up packet breads in supermarkets, <laughs> don't get then go Allison back to going. that very early episode. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. We, we've got to get through all 20 of these. Okay. Number seven, eat nose to tail using all of the animal, including the organ meat. Mm-hmm. Both of us feel really strongly about this. Um, and Andrea is doing that with her, you know, her own animals there and mm-hmm. animals that she that she's butchering. For me, because I'm buying from my farmer um, and I don't buy whole or half animals because I don't have the space for them. Mm-hmm. I'm literally just buying the organ meat. So I'm buying liver, I'm buying heart, I'm buying spleen, I'm buying all yeah. the kind of the bits. Mm-hmm. And they're so economical. So, you know, if you're worried about finances, you want to move forward ancestrally, but you're worried about finances, we'll swap out some of your standard muscle meat for um, some organ meat. Because not only will you be getting 
far more nutrients because they're the most nutrient dense part of an animal. But you will also be saving some money. Yeah. Really will be. Yeah. Get a heart. So, it's, it's, a, it's just a muscle. Yeah. So if anybody's like, where to begin? Exactly. Get a heart. It's a muscle. Same yeah. as all the other muscles. Put it in slow cooker. <laughs> it's just exactly. Valentine's there is <laughs> There is a recipe on my website for how to slow cook um, a heart. It's mm. really oh, yeah. simple. You just put it in the slow cooker, put water in, put yeah. some bits in like carrot it. and cook yeah. it overnight. Yeah. I, I've done that. Easiest part. Your recipe. It's really good. And, and delicious. And it's, like you said, very economical because not many other people are buying them. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Number eight, make drinking home fermented beverages a habit. Um, we've talked on many podcasts <laughs> about how um, modern beverages just really aren't drinks. And, you know, it's this is another sign of kind of habit one, like riding a bicycle. You know, once you've learned how to make water kefir, it's difficult perhaps at the beginning to, you know, get the grains, work it out, figure out what jars to use to make it fizzy, how long do you need to leave it. But after that, it just becomes second nature after you've done it for, you know, a week, yep. two weeks. Um, now in my home, Gabriel makes the kefir, literally. He, it's been that. turned over to him. So mm. he, he has to do it on a tray just in case he spills some. But um, <laughs> he does the kefir now. And that, that's how easy it is. You know, my eight-year-old can do it. Um, it's just getting into the habit first. And then, of course, there's so much more than water kefir. You know, there's kombucha, there's yeah. my boza that I make. There's tons of different fermented All beverages. Kinds of and beer. And... They're great for kids, you know, the mm-hmm. fizziness, the fun. They're just, oh, yeah. yeah. Again, don't get me started on that one. And so, with, anyway, with I'll the, <laughs> the, it is why you said make home fermented beverages a habit because, mm. um, or make drinking them because it does need to become a habit because you can't just be like, oh, today I'm going to have kombucha. Yeah. Oh, no, 14 yeah. days out, you know. And, I go in waves where sometimes I'm making kombucha, sometimes I'm not, you know, but there's always something fermented of some sort that you can drink. And Mm. a good way to think of some of these habits that you're developing, Joel Salatin describes farm work this way, and this is the same way Gary and I have described on our calendars. There's chores, which is the thing you repeat every day, and it just maintains Mm. your status quo, doesn't really Mm. produce anything new. And then there's projects. You know, that's like sitting down and taking the Christian Shockey yeah. workshop or taking Allison's Rye yeah. workshop or something. You know, that, that's a mm-hmm. project, different thing. You're learning something new, you know. But the repetitive things, feeding the birds, putting water in the waterers, you know, refilling your kefir, that's just a chore, you know, a habit, daily thing. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, okay, number nine. So important. <laughs> yeah. Find and support local farmers who farm regeneratively. Yes. We thought about kind of what word to use here because, you know, like you alluded to earlier in the episode, there's tag words and words that go into fashion and not. But basically mm-hmm. someone who cares for the soil and cares for the animals and who is in your local environment, your local economy. Yeah. Um, they, um, I know that not everyone has a, a farmer very, very close to them. And so it, you know, there there are possibilities that you can go find someone who's a bit further and join with some other people around you and do a big haul and mm-hmm. get get stuff in like that. Um, Kathy, who is another one of our patrons, who I think listeners will hear about her lovely course in this episode. Yeah, she said she started here and she read a book called Coming Home to Eat, oh, and she it. said basically everything else just 
came from that. Um, yeah. And it it feels like a, a fundamental to what we're saying is an ancestral kitchen because it's an ancestral kitchen was local and was um, supplied mm-hmm. by produce that had to be grown in a way that the soil would be able to grow the produce next year and the year after and yep. the year after. They yep. had to be looked after. And so that one is, yeah, is a wonderful thing all round, I think. Yeah. And <clears throat> some hallmarks mm-hmm. of a regenerative farm could include, but are, you know, don't necessarily have to be, you know, there may be diverse produce off the farm. So they're rotating chickens, cows, and pigs, or they have mm-hmm. some veg in there you know, moving chickens to clean pastures and gardens and things like that. You know, not always though. Sometimes a vegetable farm is just a vegetable farm and they, like the one we worked on in Virginia, they co-opted with a local horse barn and they would get manure delivered every month. And then they would, they just had a huge long compost row and a compost turner and they would just make compost, you know. Um, But diversity is often a sign of a regenerative farm, even if they're not selling all of it, like they might grow vegetables and not sell them, but they have chickens and things like that. So, and yeah, and often the farmer, if you're meeting them somewhere where like you're not standing in the field where they're trying to get work done, but you're maybe talking at a farmer's market or something, um, they want to talk about it because they're, this is their vocation. It's not yeah. their, just, they're very passionate about it. Typically you have to be pretty passionate to get up at four o'clock in the morning and trudge out into the snow and move cows, you know? And so they'll share with you. And I I would just say, you know, listen to anything. I I don't care what it is. Listen to anything Joel Salatin talks about. (laughs) And um, you can talk about the shape of a spoon. And I'd be like, wow, I learned something. But (laughs) he teaches a lot of things that you want to look for just if you listen to him talk. So. Thank you. So number 10, um, switch to pasture-raised eggs, look for soy-free-fed chickens. Mm-hmm. So Andrea, this is this is your kind of corner. Do you want to talk a bit about soy-free-fed chickens? Yeah. Again, look, you can go to episode number 30, the whole chicken and nothing but the chicken. Yeah. Where we talk about chickens. <laughs> and there is either an after show or a KTC or both, Allison, where you and I talked more mm. in depth on the patron podcast about that. Yeah, I remember. And about birds. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> it's not always easy to find soy free fed chickens, you know? So don't, don't make it the hill you die on necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. But do look for them because the more people who look for them and just testifying from, both the customer and the farmer perspective, the more people who look for them, the more will be on the market. And that's, yeah. you know, just basic economics, right? And yeah. a soy-free chicken is probably still getting some form of legume. You know, she might be getting peas or something. Um, mm. So you're not going to avoid legumes altogether, but you will end up with presumably more digestible ones. Um, and Soy-free chickens will usually also be corn-free as well. Not always, but often. And because if you buy a soy-free feed, it's usually soy and corn-free because what we're trying to avoid is the high levels of polyunsaturated 
fatty acids that the birds are consuming. Yeah. So you end up with a meat from a soy-free bird that is higher in saturated fat and has a normal, what you would see out, you know, you know, as if we would see birds this big in the wild, but um, <laughs> a normal bird's saturated fat ratio, which is what your body wants. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, less <clears throat> less likely to spoil and things like that in terms of, you know, the fat's not going rancid in your body. So um, the soy-free and corn-free chickens also being higher in saturated fat are insanely juicy and tender. And um, Gary's parents actually bought three turkey from us. And his mom told me on Christmas, she said, she said, we roasted the turkey for Christmas and she's, mm. and it was just them at their house or whatever. And she said, um, or it was before Christmas, they roasted it. And she said, it was so good. She said, we could not stop eating it. She And she said, it was hands down the best bird I've ever eaten. Wow. And she doesn't typically love chicken and turkey and things like that. Um, Gosh. So that was pretty That's exciting wonderful. to hear. And she said, yeah. she said, I said, well, you know, when you do a whole turkey, you know, you can, um, you know, cause it's just the two of them at the house. And I said, you know, you could shred up the meat and freeze it or whatever. She goes, oh no, we, we didn't need to shred any meat up. She goes, we pretty much <laughs> ate it all right out of the fridge. Yeah. We didn't have it. We just, just, they just kept eating it. It's like, I didn't even want to put it in anything. So that was fun. Yes. Gosh. Yum. Okay. Did, it, did okay. that answer your question? <laughs> Yeah, remember. no, it did. Thank you. Okay. All right. 11 to 15. Eat grass-fed. Number 11, eat grass-fed beef, pastured pork, and pastured chicken. And you can refer to episode number 36, where we actually interviewed Nicolette Hahn Nyman, um, who is the author of Defending Beef. And that book is listed also for number 11 in the resources list. Uh, 1010 recommend mm -hmm. that book. You too, Alison. <laughs> yeah, completely. I, I devoured that book. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. We have um, that book and as many of the books as we could from your um, resources list mm -hmm. in our bookstore that we have. So if yep. you're looking to buy books and you can't get to your local bookstore and you want a non-Amazon way of buying mm -hmm. books, then check out the link in the show notes because it will take you to a bookstore that is virtual and will post you the books but also supports local bookstores yeah. and gives a lot of its um, money to local bookstores. So Super you can find to do that. lots of books we love in there. Yeah. Um, so listen to that episode and you will understand more, but reading the book will just, it, blow it, your mind. it will, it will blow mm. your mind because you will suddenly see that every single thing you're seeing in the news about beef is honestly a lie. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a lie and it's frustrating because people, in order to explain it, people just want like a snap, a snap phrase, yeah. you know, but, but you need to understand so much more about carbon sequestration and mycelium growth and, um, you know, water retention and soil tilth and things it's like so that. so deep and mm -hmm. so amazing that you, there's yeah. no way you can explain it in a, in a pithy <clears throat> sentence. Yeah. Nicolette does a wonderful job. I can summarize the book the, for you. The I can summarize ways. the book for you. Go on then. Go on then. It's a challenge. Beef, <laughs> is, <laughs> beef is the most regenerative food on the planet. 
Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's the, it's, yeah. it's a complete closed cycle. It's a complete closed loop in itself. It drops, they drop the fertilization that grows the grass that they eat. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't really get a more closed loop than that. Yeah, exactly. And there are parts from so many um, tracks of this planet that we live yep. on that really can provide nothing else for us than beautiful grass-fed beef. Yep. You know, if we yep. try to make them provide other things and we have to put Extractive inputs in things. them, yeah. we ruin yeah. the um, the territory. And yeah, mm-hmm. cows can go on there. And for somebody and... who's got the question about water, the... The, um, if somebody says yes, but beef drink water, so, you know, then, or beeves drink water, you know, then what's the question there, there was the answer there. Then you would just say that honestly, the more people say things against beef, the more you're like, you're really showing your lack of knowledge because as they're dropping the manure and using their heavy hooves to press grass seed and roots, and then cropping the grass just to the right height just to the right heights that it does its most regenerative work on the soil. Um, mm-hmm. They're also increasing soil's water retention and bringing yeah. in a hospitable environment for a massively diverse population, including um, creatures that will help build ponds. <laughs> yeah, so, completely. Yeah, and, pretty and I think that um, the whole thing that, the whole world seems to think that it's mm-hmm. more environmentally friendly if you're going to eat meat to eat pork or chicken. You know, if you listen to any um, regenerative person or anyone like Chris Cresser or anyone who's working in this field, listen to Nicolette, read Nicolette's book, you yeah. understand that it's it's the other way around. It is. You know, that, it's kind um, of suspicious, isn't it? Yeah, completely. <laughs> And, you know, the, the interview that I did with Patrick Holden and the roadmap he's kind of laid out for how the UK could be self-sufficient in its staples, it's really clear in that that the amount of pork and chicken that people in the UK mm-hmm. eat needs to go down. But the UK can sustain quite a large amount of grass-fed cattle because it has yeah. the right territory for it, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, also, if people want another resource, jot this down, the... Fall 2022 edition of the Weston A. Price Journal has um, a brief article in the back where Joel Salatin did a recent debate with Peter Singer, who's been, you know, an anti-meat broadcaster since the 70s when he wrote his book. Um, I can't remember the name. Anyways. Um, and Joel Salatin actually, he doesn't put the entire debate in there, but he says, here, I'll show you like the 12 arguments that I had prepared for the resolution. So, um, it's very useful if you, if you're like, I don't have time to read Defending Beef. Okay. At least read that. (laughs) And then each one of those is basically a chapter in Defending Beef if you want more detail. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, number 12, ferment your dairy into yogurt cheese or kefir we we put that Mm -hmm. because when you say fermented dairy i get lots of green faces and people go and then i'm like well have you ever had like yogurt and they're like oh oh okay (laughs) so yogurt cheese kefir or the byproducts whey kefir whey um labna you know kefir cheese things like that yeah yeah lots of different things yeah 
Schmierkes, um, Clabern milk. There's lots of, there's tons of ways to ferment dairy. Um, it makes it more digestible. And if you have issues with dairy, first of all, switching to raw is always helpful, but starting with only fermented in very, very, very small doses, like a tablespoon a day. Um, and then at least over the course of the week, like I drink a fair amount of cream or milk that's not been fermented, but over the course of the week, I get multiple doses of fermented dairy. That's enough to keep the, um, activity in my gut that I need to digest even the unfermented milk. And that's something that's been proven by studies. So it's not like I'm just making that up. All right. Number 13, Allison, please speak to this one. Mm. Or yeah, number 13, okay. eat fat fearlessly. And I'll refer yeah. them one more time to number 33, the fats we love, the fats we leave. Yeah, completely. This one, I wanted to put in big letters and like plaster over everything <laughs> because I didn't eat fat because I was terrified of it for very many years. And I think um, there are tons of people who are of our era who are like that, you know, who think that saturated fat is the devil and they're going to get high cholesterol yeah. and they're going to get fat. And Oops. just it... It was an incredible journey for me to go from being terrified of fat because I was overweight my entire childhood, which, right. you know, had huge effects on my psyche, to mm -hmm. going from raw vegan and then trying to bring animal saturated fat back into my diet. And the fear that I was faced with was immense. Yeah. And... You know, we're not saying just just eat fat all the time, you know, eat tons, you know, pints and pints and pints of fat. But what we are saying is don't be scared when you do eat it. Don't be scared mm -hmm. to put it on your bread like I put lard all over my sourdough. Don't be scared to cook with it. Mm -hmm. Don't be scared to put it on um, on your vegetables as a dressing. Don't be scared of fat. It is not the thing that will make you fat in and of itself. And it is not something that inherently leads to high cholesterol. We need fat. Our body needs fat. Our brain needs fat. And it is just feels like the the biggest diet lie of our era. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, eat fat fearlessly. Phew. Yeah. Confidently <laughs> go forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think in number 33, we talk about, Alison, your experience when you were trying to convince yourself to eat cheese that had fat in it so that yeah. was a good episode for people to listen to especially if mm -hmm. you're coming out of like the traumatic 90s <laughs> yeah. where nobody was supposed to eat fat all right <clears throat> love it uh you're you're reading the next couple ones right where are we um one. we're up to 14 you're still okay. got 14 and 15 yeah oh 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 wait i'm oh yeah okay it's me <laughs> i can't count <laughs> all right <laughs> excuse me i got so caught up in the story um, okay. And number 14, <laughs> include bone broth in your diet. And you can listen to episode number 26, Bones and Water, The Magic of Stock, if you want to hear us wax eloquent on this favorite protein-rich beverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just wonderful. Yeah. A wonderful, wonderful, and wonderful connecting drink. It, and mm -hmm. connecting Go it on, to number still... seven, the eat nose to tail one. Yeah. This this would yeah. fall under nose to tail eating, and also mm -hmm. that's true. Um, worth noting that before, when Gary and I started eating ancestral foods, you know, we made the the slow ooze into it, and mm -hmm. the meat, um, you know, is more expensive. It can sometimes cost twice as much. 
when it's not coming from a force fed factory, you know, farm. Um, <clears throat> trust me, the regenerative meat, if people actually had to pay the full expense, regenerative meat would literally cost half of what, yeah, um, what regenerative meat at the price it is today would cost half or less than half of what factory farmed meat costs. Um, yeah. But all the expenses are off offloaded and we pay in this country over $40 billion a year in taxes to subsidize the grains that are fed to those animals. But mm -hmm. um, we would buy a lot of bones because they were cheaper and yeah. we could make protein broth out of them, basically. And so we got a lot of our protein and obviously amino acids um, and meat benefits from just broth because that's just what we had um mm. and now now we do have a lot more meat interspersed and we're also raising our own meat as well mm. um but that that was that took many years of steps so yeah exactly and that's the point you know that that's the point of these steps that yeah. these things don't all happen like one week and then the next no. week and the next week they take many years yeah. and like you said, this is another great step for economy. You know, if you want mm -hmm. to move ancestrally, but you don't have the money, you can get bones for next to nothing. Sometimes farmers will give you them for nothing. Yep. And if you don't like drinking it, mm -hmm. um, I use... What's wrong with you? Oh, I, use my, <laughs> <laughs> I use bone broth in my house. I actually cook more with bone broth than I, than I drink it. So yeah, whenever too. I cook straight grains, often we cook millet and sorghum um the kind of lighter grains and we cook them in bone broth all the time and all of the stews and soups and things that I make I will put bone broth in if I have anything that I'm kind of cooking that's a bit dry I'll get the bone broth out of the fridge and put a bit of bone broth in it mm -hmm. to kind of loosen it up you know oh, I'll yeah, make absolutely. my gravy using bone broth if I haven't mm -hmm. got any stock juices yep. you don't necessarily have to just sit there with a cup of bone broth if you don't want to you just yeah. use it in your cooking yeah, but you could if you wanted to. Yeah, you could if you want to. You could make hot chocolate with it like you do. Yeah, yeah, make hot chocolate with it. Or um, like my favorite, literally my favorite breakfast is bone broth heated on the stove. Use the same pan every time so I know exactly how much I put in it, what fits in my bowl. Mm. And then as it gets to a simmer, I crack in one or two eggs and let them poach in it. I sprinkle in salt and I'll put in then after I take it off the heat, one drop of whatever oil I'm in the mood for. So maybe oregano, maybe thyme, you know, maybe sage, and then pour it in a bowl. And I mean, I could nurse that baby for an hour. So this <laughs> so morning, I, this is a good, another good example. These are great practical examples. I had some bone broth, which was in a little saucepan. I put some previously cooked sorghum in there. And I warmed oh. that up. I put um, some slices of um, spring onion and some very thin slices of carrot. I warmed that up. Then I took a spoonful of miso and stirred it in so it was all kind of salty. Then I cracked an egg in it, put the lid on, cooked <sighs> it until the egg was not so jiggly, you know, just starting to set. Yeah. And that was my breakfast. Oh. So that was my bone I broth, you know, part of my bone broth for the day. Yep. <clears throat> I think people, people need to remember that and we've talked about this multiple times and people say to me all the time you know I'm glad you said that because we're not all out here making kidney souffle you know yeah um a lot of the food the i would say the majority of the food we eat is quite simple like 8 year old 
level cooking, not all of it, obviously, but a lot of it is very simple or repetitive steps that can be learned and taught, even if it does take time, you know, like the skills. Um, but they're not these just insane over the top complicated yeah. things because ain't nobody got time for that. And we're already sucking yeah. a lot of time into our, um, food habits. <laughs> so, mm, all right. Number 15. This episode of Ancestral Kitchen is brought to you by Home Folk Roots. Home Folk Roots is an online membership community dedicated to living a simple life that is in harmony with the seasons. This group is created by one of our listeners, Kathy. Members take on gentle challenges complete with ebooks and printables to help stay focused on home and nature. You'll connect in a private forum and have the opportunity to participate in old-fashioned mail swaps and letter writing. Once a month, you can get together for a live chat. At Home Folk Roots, you'll grow food, cook from scratch, use herbs for healing, take walks in nature, forage, craft, connect with your local communities, and share adventures in a judgment-free zone. You'll share photos, struggles, and successes to celebrate and encourage each other in an authentic, slow life connected to the earth. Join in spring and take 15% off the season's membership by visiting homespunseasonalliving.com slash AKP. That's homespunseasonalliving.com slash AKP or check the show notes. This is the one I started on. So this is where Uh my journey began back in probably 2009, I think. Buy untreated vegetables, fruit, and greens. We chose Mm -hmm. the word untreated because, again, organic has been a co-opted label by the government. And you might not find certified organic food. And we now use the word organic no longer means, you know, Organic, it just means certified. (laughs) So food that has been untreated. There you go. Pretty simple. All right, Alison, you want to pick up the rest? Five left. We're on the last five. Okay, number 16 is where I started. So we're very close to each other. Read about ancestral foods or listen to podcasts. So the way that I was introduced to ancestral foods is that a dear friend who I um, knew in Italy told me about nourishing traditions and wow I saw the book and I was just like I have to get that book (laughs) (laughs) and so I got the book and I just devoured the whole book I all the side notes all the I went straight back to the bibliography at the back of course of course about the other books (laughs) and that was where my journey started and then it's like so many of the patrons have said when they talked about this it kind of just mushroom from there. So I read the sauerkraut recipe and I started making sauerkraut. And then I found a farm that sold raw milk and I bought some raw milk from them. And then I found out about kefir grains and I got some of those and I put them in that raw milk that I just bought. Yeah. And that's really what that, that kickstarted the whole thing around the same time as you, 2009, I think. That's so Um, funny. So, it is wonderful to read about ancestral foods. When you go to something like Sally Fallon's book, it, it's inspiring and it really inspired me to get going. I know so many people have been inspired by nourishing traditions. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, now we have podcasts and we have, a, as Andrew has been 
spattering through the episode, <laughs> we have a ton of episodes to listen to, um, which will give you information, support you, encourage you and send you off on whatever tangent you particularly want to go off on. Yeah. So that was my beginning reading. Yeah. And thank you to all the people, you know, who have created that material that is available for us now to, you yeah. know, to read and to listen to. I don't, I don't know if there were podcasts back in 2009, but thankfully there were books. So there thank you, Sally podcasts. Fallon. For I know, because I was actually listening to an Italian one, like in 2005. Ah, okay. <laughs> so they existed. That far. Yeah. Okay, number 17, oh, Start a Garden. I, ha- yeah. I was going to oh, throw, oh, sorry, I didn't want yeah, to cut you off, but I had a couple podcast episodes to list there. Ah, yeah, So for reading, do. yeah, reading about ancestral foods, um, you could look to um, number three, why we cook ancestrally. That's a good place to yeah. to go. Number six, which is called Six Books We Love, uh, where Allison yeah. and I share six different books that are all really great resources that we heavily lean on. Number 11, Nourishing mm. Traditions, The Ancestral mm. Cookbook. That is one of our most popular episodes. And mm. number 22, Book Stacks for the New Year, where we each shared the list of what we were reading. And the, all of those books are great resources. And I think they mm. might be all listed in the show notes. I can't remember. Yeah, I think they are. Let's see. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they are listed. Yep. <clears throat> so you can actually jump to each timestamp and listen to the section specifically about that book. Pastured Poultry Prophets, Beekeeping for Beginners, Animals Make Us Human. There's a lot of books listed in there. So, mm. all right. Sorry, Alison. Back to number 17. <laughs> okay. Number 17 is Start a Garden. And I know that a lot of people start here. Angie, who um, you were talking about earlier, another yeah. one of our patrons started there. And she said, you know, from there she was thinking about, well, how can I preserve the produce that I'm making in my garden? So that yeah. was kind of how she then moved into other steps. Yeah. Um, I have a very small garden, which is paved and mine is container. Andrew has a lot more space than me, but... You know, you can start a garden on your balcony or you can start a huge garden. And um, it's a wonderful way to get close to your food and begin to understand yeah. how things work. And, and you know, I've learned so much since we've been in this place. So it's only like three years and I've had my container mm-hmm. garden. It's the first time, seriously, I've grown any vegetables. And, you know, I've I've learned about how vegetables work. I didn't understand that before. I've learned so much about soil. I've taught myself everything about bokashi, and now I'm I'm making my own compost using bokashi in there. And it's just so wonderful to bring your own produce into your own kitchen and eat it. It really is. So, yeah, that's a great um, one. People can listen to episode number forty-five, which is called "Fermenting Trash in the Kitchen." And Allison, you just kind mm. of alluded to it when you said bokashi. So we'll explain mm. in that episode what is bokashi and how does it work. And mm. why is it good for your garden? What Joel Salton calls pot gardens. <laughs> yeah. 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 All okay. Right. Um, number 18, include herbs in your food and drink. Herbs. And that's something that um, <laughs> I love to do. Herbs. Yeah, not herbs. You can, you can include herbs and why I'll include herbs. herbs? Like, why do we say I don't that? Know. I don't know. Doesn't do you, make sense. Do you, you, if it's a name, we say the H. Uh-huh. Like we say herb. Do you? If it's a name. Like, hey, herb. Oh, how really? you doing? Yeah. Okay. We don't say, hey, herb. 
I don't know. Someone, don't know someone should look that up on Google for us. <laughs> yeah, please um, help us. Not Google. <laughs> some, some other, some other browser, yeah. <laughs> not Google. Um, oh. Anyway, um, include herbs in your food and drink. So herbs are not just wonderful flavour. Um, some um, ingredients. They are also full of essential oils and beautiful health-giving things, and they can change a simple um, meal. Now you were talking about cooking simply you know, cooking like an eight-year-old can yeah. <laughs> well you can cook like an eight-year-old and then just add a different herb each day and you've got a different dish each day Bam. and Magic. we've talked about putting herbs in bone broth I know we did a we've done several um patron interviews on mm-hmm. the private podcast I know we did one with Stephanie who's a patron oh, who's also yeah, a herbalist that would be a good one and Ira and both of them talk about yep. using herbs in your food and drink. Um, yep. It's just a wonderful thing to do. Okay, number 19. Remove chemical-based toiletries from your home. Big step. This is a huge thing and mm-hmm. I think makes a huge difference to health. It was something that I did before I started eating ancestrally. Um, when I got to Nourishing Traditions, the cookbook, I'd already done this. Oh, and so maybe this was step one for you. Yeah, well, I kind of wasn't ancestral because I was all vegan then. So I don't know if it kind of counts. Yeah, Perhaps it, it was step one. That's part of the dream. <laughs> <It counts. laughs> um, yeah, well, it was completely. You're right. Um, so, yeah, and our life is so much better and so much cheaper <laughs> through not buying bottles and sprays and things with awful ingredients in that get absorbed by our skin and we cannot detox them. Um, it's just so much simpler to... Um, have very simple soap yeah, and not use 17 different things for each different kind of deployment of a cleansing agent. Um, <laughs> that one seems like a no-brainer really for me. Mm. And number 20, our last one of our 20 small steps to an ancestral kitchen is along the same lines, mm. which is choose reusable and non-toxic household cleaning supplies. Mm-hmm. So by reusable, we mean, you know, rather than paper towels, you could you know, have an old shirt that you cut up and use and then you're washing it each time. And household cleaning, rather than by having the same bottles of spray with all these ingredients in as you've got in your shower to clean your kitchen surface, instead Mm -hmm. choose a non-toxic version. You can find online tons of um, recipes for simple cleaners with vinegar and lemon and essential oils. And that just means, you know, when you go to your chopping board, when you go to your table, your food and your um, utensils and your hands are not going to be touching all those chemicals. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you eat the food. So it um, it kind of makes the circle and keeps your kitchen in a, in a way that for thousands of years our ancestors would have had. You know, they would have not been using all these things with um, seven syllables in names and... <laughs> To, to clean their kitchens, you know. Yeah. They didn't. And so. There is a number yeah. of episodes in the patron feed that people could listen to. Um, obviously, mm. the ones um, talking about herb herbalism would be even helpful here. Then I know you and I address the question when people ask, what do we use to clean our face? We address that in a patron episode. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, we talked about like the history a little bit of chemical yeah, usage in the great. home that was a really good episode that's a great but yeah. those are i think are all on the patron feed on the main and feed, also 
There's mm-hmm. also there's an interview with um, Ellie on how to make soap. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. In the we, patron feed. We did a. Is that one on the main feed or on the? Mm-mm. No, it's that's on the what patron I feed. Yeah, so on the patron mm-hmm. feed, we talked to Ellie because Ellie's every day is her sourdough channel, and Ellie's soap making is her soap channel. So you can find yeah. those both on YouTube, and then the interviews with her on the patron feed the bonus podcast and also on the main feed you can look at number 37 doesn't necessarily directly address this but it indirectly does Mm -hmm. it's called a peek into allison and rob's ancestral lifestyle yeah yeah that's a really good one actually you just want to get to know allison and rob (laughs) (laughs) so yeah thank you wow so those are our 20 steps and we're only just over an hour talking about them amazing i didn't know if we'd get them in like before the sun went down over here (laughs) look at how good we are (laughs) so as we said this has been made into a pdf so you can go to ancestralkitchen.com forward slash 20 small steps and Mm -hmm. download it plus the resources list that andrea made which will show you the books and other resources that we've talked about through the episode and i i really do hope it helps you know wherever you are whether you're just starting with this or whether you've been doing it for 10 years yeah. you know it's really a useful thing to understand that these are you know parts of an ancestral kitchen and that we took them step by step mm-hmm. and it took us time to bring these into our lives and they're they're there to say well you know which one do you feel most drawn to if you feel like mm-hmm. starting a garden because that feels exciting to you then you can go and start a garden but if you want to start making sourdough bread mm-hmm. then that's more your style there are many many ways to get into this and many many ways to yeah. move forward and doing it calmly without pressure is yes. by far the most sane and um long standing way of doing mm-hmm. it so if you want to share with us where you're at or what you're um what you're hoping to move on to mm-hmm. what, what you're starting with what you did start with feel free to um contact us we're both on instagram and the details are all in the show notes and you can can um, get in contact with us yeah it would be way. interesting to hear people say where they started because i think yeah. especially if somebody's been doing this for a number of years and they go through kind of like you just did when you were saying oh well i started i read nourishing traditions then i started making sauerkraut then i found a farm with mm-hmm. raw milk then i learned about milk kefir like <clears throat> yeah. tracking the journey you can see where each one th- that is the thing about ancestral food is that each one links up to another one yeah. it, you can re- rearrange them in different orders but they tend to have you'll you'll see this progression in your life where i think you'll jump through a couple you'll almost you know do two or three kind of changes happen even in a day like well i started buying lard from a farmer and i started eating fat you know that just happened yeah and yeah um you might cluster some of these leaps and then you might say yeah you know i've been eating nose to tail and growing my own vegetables and eating fat fearlessly for four years and i'm now going to make sourdough bread you know it, yeah. it might take a long time to get to some of the steps but that's you, you know we have our we, we have time we have time to make yeah. these changes i agree wonderful thank you andrea all right allison until next time yeah bye for now bye bye <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.